building a company from nothing is freaking hard. Us entrepreneurs are expected to deal with unimaginable challenges and somehow keep a cool head through it all. This is The Art of Entrepreneurship, and I'm your host, Jackie Hermes. I grew my company, Excelity, from zero to seven figures with no partners and no funding. The Art of Entrepreneurship is a show where we cut through the BS and dig into what it actually takes to start and grow a company. If you give me your time, I promise it won't be wasted. Now let's get to work. Hello and welcome back to The Art of Entrepreneurship. Today's guest is Bob Gatos, who is the founder and CEO of a company called Pendela, where he leads a team that is automating the underwriting process through AI and big data. So he works in insurance and he has for many years. He's founded, invested in, and exited a number of companies in insurance. So of course, I had to ask him about making change when people and companies and frankly, entire industries like insurance are change resistant. We talk through the importance of education, about learning from failure, picking yourself up again, and a lot more today. Thank you, Bob, for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Today, I want to talk about something that I think is probably very familiar, near and dear to your heart, and it's making change in change-resistant places. I have also been working in insurance marketing on behalf of SureTax for 15 years, and so I'm very familiar with the industry and just how change-resistant it is, I think, at every level. I think the first question that I wanted to ask is, how did you decide to take something like this on, not once, but over and over again with all of the companies you've been involved in? You know, that's a great question. Like I've always been a change agent. I, I, I've always had this ability to just look at something and say, if something's inevitable, then let's just do it. Okay. Now that said, you're right. In this industry, the insurance industry, while change may be inevitable, it can take uh, many years. Yeah. an enormous amount of persistency. And a lot of that is just recognizing that a lot of these insurance companies are really institutions, sometimes 100, 150 years old. And people come there and spend their entire careers there. So their sense of time is very different than a startup's, right? If, you, if, you're, at a, if you're at a 150-year-old life insurance company and you've been there for 30 years, you think six months is a long in a long time and i think six months is like or that you think that like oh, if we've something done six months that's magnificent i'm thinking man six months are you kidding i can do like 10 things in six months yeah so really you you have to adapt to that right there's no question you have to adapt to understanding that they live in a different culture they live in a different sense of time um and then you have to just use persistency over and over to break down the barriers um and you also have to find obviously somebody inside of the company who can help you be that change agent but you do have to really be persistent and understand it's going to take time like i'll tell you a little story about that so you know i was early in the consumer driven industry back in 1999 and we created a company called choice care card back in 1999 and at the time when we were preaching the gospel of what now is hsas and hras you know they no one everybody thought we were crazy Right. And it took seven <laughs> years, seven years to that. Everybody in the world has an HSA and HRA now. That's like standard yeah. benefits world now. Right? right. But I remember going to the home office of Anthem in Indianapolis and in probably 2001 and telling them the future 
And I'll never forget it because at the very end, the chief underwriter says, if he's right, everything we're doing is wrong. Oh. <clears throat> well, fast forward, you know, several years down the road. Yeah, six, seven years later, Anthem was all in on HRAs and HSAs. But it took that long. Did they... So he said, if he's right, everything we're doing is wrong, which, wow, what a quote. Did he <laughs> recognize that they might have to start moving in that direction or was it too early for them? Oh, there was a recognition, but they also was, it was too early. There's no question about that. I mean, yeah. you know, at the time they were heavily invested in the HMO marketplace and the whole idea of consumer driven was to empower some of those consumers. And how are you going to be able to do that inside of a managed care world that was not abundantly clear because the model was so built on two dollar copays and they'll just do whatever you tell them to do right mm -hmm. so it took a long long time to break down those barriers and the number of times i mean year after year after year having to go to these insurance companies or these insurance agencies it's you know it was a long time it really yeah. took i looked back at this morning i think probably seven years before i really felt we turned the corner yeah. You know, I think that a lot of startup owners, when they're first getting started, they think, okay, who wouldn't want our amazing product? Because everyone loves their product and their company. <clears throat> and they think that they can blanket out their marketing message, buy lists, you know, send out a bunch of ads. And if you push it out, people are going to come. And it's actually a much more targeted, deliberate process. And it's a lot of education. How yeah. much of the change-making process in your viewpoint is that education piece? Because I imagine that many of the people that you've sold to over over the years didn't even realize that they had a problem the first time that they met you. Well, there's no question about that. I mean, we got, you know, we're doing it again right now with the current company, Pendel and Life Insurance, which is what we did back in the Choice Care Card, which is we realized that there was a massive education effort that would have to happen at the HR level. Yep. Okay, that, that if we could get HR people to understand what an HRA was, what an HSA was, and how it helped the employee, that that would create demand pull uh, in, from the brokers, like they would go tell their brokers. Like what we couldn't do is expect the brokers to go educate those HR people. They weren't going to do that, okay? And then the other thing we figured out the same, this is very much a tipping point strategy. So you really got to do a tipping point strategy, right? Mm -hmm. So we had to figure out who were the mavens, right? And who are the mavens in the HR world and who are the majors? And, and the HR don't make the final decision, the CFOs do. So yeah. we had to figure out who do the HR people listen to, but when they turn to the CFOs, who do the CFOs listen to? And we figured out that the HR people listen to SHRM, Society of Human Resource Managers. So we could use them as the mavens, right? And we figured out that the CFOs listen to their accountants. So if we could get the accountants to understand what an HRA and an HSA was, that we could create this moment when the HR person and the CFO would meet in the hallway and the, and the HR person would say, I'm thinking we might want to use an HSA or an HRA. And the CFO would go, that's interesting because I just saw a class on how they're tax advantageous. Then we create that moment. You have to. That's, yeah. that's not easy work. Okay. No. I mean, that takes a lot of time. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so what we did in that case, and we're doing it again now is you got to figure out, well, where are there pockets of those SHRMs, that local SHRMs that are powerful, right? So you might have certain areas where the local SHRM or the state SHRM really is powerful. Like when it holds a conference, everybody shows up, right? 
um, and then figure out, okay, what, in this region, let's say we're going to target Philadelphia. Do they have good sherms? They also have good CFO organizations. We could target those. And at the end of the day, we're not selling them. We're not selling that HR person. We're not selling that CFO. We're merely educating them. Because right. at some point when they say, well, where would I go for this? We'd say, well, go to your broker, right? And that creates demand pull back to the broker to us. I've seen a lot of companies make the mistakes that you're talking about, which is counting on the middleman to educate. And, mm. you know, brokers are getting offered things like this all the time that they can go and they're not going to go and do the work for you. And also not considering who is all involved in a sale and not just the decision maker, but the budget holder, the champion, who's the influencer in the sale and kind of creating that I don't know, that water cooler moment or running into each other in the hallway. And now you have to figure out how to do that virtually as well. Um, so I do think it's a really interesting challenge for these companies. And back to you doing it over and over again, your bio, I was reading through it. It's a long list of companies that you've founded in, you've invested in them. And in many cases, you sold them. What is the secret to doing it? over and over again, because a lot of entrepreneurs want to be serial entrepreneurs. They want to have that, you know, the reputation, the success, but it is very difficult. Well, you know, probably the biggest mantra I tell people who ever join me along these paths is the number one rule is you don't get to quit. Mm -hmm. And I mean that by hour by hour. Okay. You're playing baseball. You have to realize that if you hit 300, you're hall of fame. If you hit 200, you still got a good career, which means you got to be ready to fail 70 to 80% of the time. And not just like, hey, I'm going to fail, like I'm going to build 10 businesses and only succeed three. You're going to you're gonna fail 78% all day long because you're trying to do something that has not been done before. You're trying to convince people. So you're going to fail every day over and over, right? I often in the companies that I've run will tell the story of Greek mythology, Sipposis. Right. He was sentenced to roll the bowl up, to roll the boulder to the top of the hill, and every day it would be right back down to the bottom. So if you're not ready to go to the plate and strike out over and over again and analyze why you struck out and find enjoyment in that process, then man, don't play this game. Mm -mm. Okay. Now, ultimately, the real reason you play this game is the thrill. No different than the real reason you go, you're a hitter. Maybe the, your thrill is you want the home run. Maybe you're Tony Gwynn and you want to hit that 400, but there's some thrill you really want. But also understand that that means you're living in, a, in a, quoting some famous guy here in the startup world, there's only two emotions you're ever going to have, right? Euphoria and despair. So you've <laughs> got to be comfortable living in that, right? And learning how to manage that learning how to manage the fact that you just struck out, you feel absolute despair, but yet you have to turn that despair into a motivation to want to go back to that plate again, even though you might strike out 10 more times in a row. And if, and, and if that's what you want, it's a thrilling life, okay? Uh, it's going to be here. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be really high. It's going to be really low. It's going to be very little in between. And you're going to just be pounding and pounding and pounding and getting up every day and doing it. Um, but that's, that's why you do it. Uh, if you, if you don't want to play that game, then man, don't, don't get in, don't become an entrepreneur. Okay. Yeah. And it's a lonely game too, because very few people actually understand what it's like to be an entrepreneur. And so there's not a lot of people that have compassion or empathy for any pain you're going through in any given day. So you're pretty much alone. Truly. Yep. I 
feel like you're describing my life right now. And I think when you start to, the highs and lows are harder to deal with. And over time, the more you, it's kind of like you're getting your reps in, right? And you're learning how to handle anything that comes your way. And it's all in <clears throat> your reactions, right? Like, so for my marketing agency, we recently had a company that their head of marketing left and they immediately replaced with someone new. And that can sometimes be a bad thing for a marketing agency because a new head of marketing brings in their own resources. So it's like, okay, well, what are we going to do? We are going to talk to this guy. We're going to show him what we've been doing. We're going to try to win him over. We're going to turn around and start refilling the pipeline to replace his business if we need to. And you have to move very quickly and ride, you know, going from that low right back up to action. And it's very important to, to well, I'm going to use, I'm going to double click on a line you just said, which is getting your reps in. Yep. Think about going to the gym. Okay. If, if you're a regular in the gym, you understand that there is no such thing as immediate results. Okay. And you're, you're going there and you're getting the reps in and you understand that over time, that's going to start to have a result. Um, and so, yeah, you know, like I love the greatest definition of discipline I ever heard was Bobby Knight who said discipline is doing what has to be done when it has to be done. So you're getting up in the morning and you're doing, and you're just doing it. You're getting it done over and over. You're being, you're getting your reps in, you're being rigid, you're staying the game. You're not going to be affected at the fact that I didn't see any results for the last eight days. Now, look, sometimes you got to realize you're, you're doing the wrong lifting. Okay. And you have to adjust. Okay. But you're going to keep going. You're going to keep going. And, you know, I don't, you know, you say like, you know, why do I keep doing it? I don't know anything else. It's the only thing I've ever done. Okay. And I think if I don't do this, I'll just waddle up and die. Right. I mean, I've said to my wife, don't ever expect me to retire. Okay. This, <laughs> I'm going to play this game forever. It's just who I am. It's what I enjoy. It Like, I have no idea what it means to work. I don't work. This is my life. <clears throat> I have no problem getting up in the morning and getting to the desk. Okay. <clears throat> it's not work. It is who I am. It's who my, it's my life. It, it's, it's the re, it's the purpose of why I live every day. I get to see people. I get to see things created. I get to see things happen. I get to see people's lives change as we all work together in these efforts and create companies and create industries. And that's, you know, thrilling. And, but it happens Pounding, pounding, pounding. You know, one thing I want to also say, but you were something you were saying earlier is I tell all entrepreneurs, I don't care what you think until you get to the streets, you don't know squat. Mm -hmm. You can have all the fun you want in ideation. You can think you know the product's right. You can think you know the price they're going to pay. You can think you know what demand is there until you start testing on the streets. You don't know anything. And you will be shocked when you go to the streets how much, well, that was wrong. Didn't figure that one out. So don't fall in love with your ideas because you're going to have to slay a lot of them, okay? Yeah. You're going to think you're creating one thing and it turns out you're really creating something else and you got to be ready for that. Oh my God, I never thought about it. That's what it is, right? Mm -hmm. when, we, when we went to the streets with Choice Care Card, we literally thought that the, the fundamentals showed us that the market could bear... $20 per employee per month for these programs. When we got to the streets, the streets would barely pass five. And now 20 years in the industry pretty much pays three, right? Mm -hmm. We didn't know. We just, we didn't understand, right? What the market could really bear, what the market really thought was the fair price for the product. You just don't know until you get to the streets. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, we are nearing the end of our time and I really appreciate all of your insights. I feel like you've really spoke to me in a lot of, in my experience and in the entrepreneurial journey, everything that you said. My last question is if there is one major takeaway or one piece of advice for everyone that's listening, what is it? Well, there's no question. Probably the biggest piece of advice I give anybody who wants to get in the game of being an entrepreneur and doing a startups is understanding that everything is time and money and understand what both of those things mean. So you're in a never ending search for people's time and you're in a never ending search for people's money. Mm. It never ends. Yep. Um, and so you're always looking for that person who can come in and be the person that can contribute with time and you're always looking for those people or those companies that can come in and contribute with money because it's everything you never know how long it's going to take to get the story straight right you don't know how much money you're going to need to get the story straight is this going to get you is this going to take three years is going to take seven years right you just don't know right yeah. you know people love to say when you're raising money well you know, well, get, show us your pro forma and how you're, you're going to be profitable next number of months. I will know. So, I mean, I can make it up and show it to you. And I think I got facts <laughs> showing it, but it doesn't, I'm not, I'm, I don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. So you're in a never ending search for time and money. Yeah. There's a lot of educated guessing that goes on. And I think the more that you can be proactive in both of those areas and work ahead of when you actually need something, the easier it gets for sure. Yeah. Thank you, Bob, so much. I really appreciate your time. And for everyone listening, if you got value out of this episode today, I want you to go and share it with one person that needs to hear this message. And I will talk to you next time. Thank you. Thank you.